So how you doing? I love to hear that. I'm doing all right. My name is Bill Reeser. I'm the pastor of Encounter, a place where hope can be found, a spiritual growth, discipleship, recovery, evangelism, community, where we're learning who we are in Christ and learning how to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, a free life devoted to Jesus Christ. Welcome to the greatest place to be on a Friday night. night. So listen, we're continuing in our series. It's going to be a great, great night. Uh, We're talking about Anchor 7, closing my accounts with other people. I'm going to get Anchor 7 on up on the screen. We're going to read it together. That's how we're going to start the service. We've been working through all the anchors, and tonight's going to be a big, big night. And so Anchor number 7 is close my accounts with other people by forgiving them and be willing to make amends by becoming a peacemaker. That's Anchor number 7. And when you take a look at our previous anchors, there's one word that makes all the other anchors work in our lives. It's one word, and that word is forgiveness. In anchor three, when we respond to the love of God and surrender our our life and will to Jesus Christ, he does what? He forgives us. When you realize who you are in anchor number four, your identity statement becomes, I am forgiven. People ask you, hey, how you doing? Well, I'm forgiven. That's who I am. I'm declared not guilty. In Anchor 6, we talked about this last week, before you can experience transformation and change, the Apostle Paul starts out with Romans 12 and 1. He says, in view of God's mercy, in other words, in view of how God has forgiven you, the word forgiveness is a big word, and only God could come up with such an outrageous, countercultural unthinkable idea to forgive anyone who would trust in his son, Jesus Christ. All of us need forgiveness. All of us need his grace. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. We all need an open door and a pathway to walk through to experience the wonderful joy of being forgiven. Friends, I got to tell you, there is nothing like being forgiven. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like having all the barriers demolished that block us from experiencing the fullness of God when we know that we're forgiven. There is nothing like experiencing love in its purest form, which never happens until we're forgiven. Those that have been forgiven much, they love much. Forgiveness clears the darkness of a hard heart and gives us the ability and capacity to love others the way Jesus tells us and commands us to love others. Forgiveness frees us from the bondage of hate and the chains that keep us shackled by our bitterness. Forgiveness opens up the airwaves to prayer, knowing that through the forgiveness that only Jesus offers, we know that our prayers are getting to the Father. Jesus said himself in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love that. Forgiveness settles our eternal destiny, restores our relationship with the Father. Forgiveness defeats death, gives us resurrection power to do the same things that Jesus did, but even greater. Friends, you will never know how God is going to use something done against you, how God can take whatever was meant for evil to you until forgiveness has occurred in your life. Forgiveness makes all that possible. What an unbelievable plan to restore humanity. What a plan from God. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his forgiveness. Without any hesitation, I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, but I would say, in my opinion, that it's the greatest plan God ever came up with. It's the greatest plan in the universe. This idea of forgiveness, that whoever would trust in Jesus Christ would be forgiven, that whenever we would ask for forgiveness, we would be forgiven. But watch what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Forgiveness is the greatest plan ever given to us until we're asked to give it away to others. God, great idea. Thanks, but no thanks. You do it. I'll watch you. Just keep me on the sidelines on this one. Great idea, God, but now you want me to forgive like you? No way. 
thanks but no thanks, sadly, is the response from most of us. And you know, just like most of the pills we pop, we want the fix that forgiveness gives us without paying any attention to the forgiveness disclaimers that are written clearly for our benefit. Just like, you know, I don't know about you, I've been watching these Lyrica commercials. So if you take Lyrica, it'll do this to you, but be careful. The side effects are, you know, heat rashes, you know, crazy insane dreams, driving on the other side of the highway, joining Charles Manson's club, you know, all these crazy things. There are a lot of crazy disclaimers, that, you know, the fine print that you never read, you know, liver disease, you, you know, heart disease, all, all these different things. Well, you know, God put disclaimers in his word about what he had to say about forgiveness as well, too. And so most of you know the Lord's Prayer. Most of you have it memorized, right? We're going to put it up on the screen, the NIV version. But our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power, the kingdom, the glory of God right forever and ever. We have it memorized, right? And when Jesus prayed it, it wasn't an attempt to give us some kind of formula to spit out, but a model for what the heart of prayer should be. I'm not going. I just need some water. He wanted our prayers to be personal. He wanted our prayers to mean something. He wanted our prayers to come from our heart. He didn't want us to just spit out some, some memorized, you know, mantra you know, every time we would come. He wanted those prayers to come from our heart because God already knows our heart when we pray. He didn't want just us to memorize it, but there was something in that prayer. He wanted us to mean what we pray when we say, our Father who rules and reigns in heaven. And he wanted it to mean something. And speaking of meaning what you pray, you probably noticed that there was one part of that prayer that was a little harder to pray than others. If we were really meaning what we were praying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Did you catch that? Forgive us in the same way that I'm forgiving others. Forgive me in the same way, God, that I'm offering forgiveness to others. Kind of scary thing to pray, isn't it? In other words, if I go halfway in forgiveness, Lord, with the people in my life, Lord, you go halfway in forgiveness. If I want to hold on to this grudge, Lord, you hold on to this grudge. I will never forgive that person for what they did to me, Lord, so you don't, please don't forget what I did to you, and you'll never forgive me. That's basically what you're praying in the Lord's Prayer. In the same way that I offer and demonstrate forgiveness to others, that's how you, Lord, are going to offer and demonstrate forgiveness to me. Notice that forgiveness is the only issue in the Lord's prayer that he brings up twice. And he was adamant about making this point in order to clear up any misunderstanding about what he was trying to teach when he taught the Lord's prayer. He clears everything up in verse 14 and 15 when he says, for if you forgive men, it's up on the screen, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let me just stop right there. Let me just share with you one conversation that's never going to take place when I see my Maker and my Father, who loves me more than I could ever love myself, face to face. There's one conversation that will never take place and that's the conversation of why I didn't forgive others when I was forgiven such a great debt. I know how much I've been forgiven. And because I've been forgiven much, God expects me to forgive in the same exact way. The other thing that that scripture says, if you don't forgive men their sins against you, your father will not forgive your sins. You want to mess with a pastor? Go to a pastor and share that scripture with them and explain and have that pastor explain to you what not having your sins forgiven means. And I guarantee you, you will not get the same explanation if you interview 10 different pastors. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I understand that completely. I'm not that smart. 
but I'm smart enough to know that I'm not going to wait to heaven to find out what that scripture means. I'm not going to wait till I see my Father in heaven to find out what not having my sins forgiven really means. And if all that's on the line is me closing my accounts with other people that are living rent-free in my head that needed to be evicted because of forgiveness, they're getting evicted. I'm closing those accounts, not for their sake, but for my sake, so that I've got a clean heart. So that there's nothing between me and my relationship with God and me and my relationship with others. The next disclaimer is found in Mark 11, 22, 25. It says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. He says, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, guess what happened? Guess what's going to happen? It'll happen. It'll be done for you. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, I love this prayer scripture, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. You know, I, again, I'm not that sharp. But if Jesus has to say something more than once, maybe in a different way, I think he means it. And I think he was serious about making this point. Now, the context of this is Jesus is saying, above all, have faith in God. Keep trusting God. Keep believing God. And when you do, you're going to be able to speak to the mountains in your life. And mountains are anything that keeps you from being all that God has called you to be. Mountains are the hurts that are inflicted on us by other people. The fears that we have that simply paralyze us. The pileup of shame and guilt that has been growing for years. Mountains are the result of bitterness that we carry. Mountains are the storms of life that can take us out if we don't have a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. Mountains are, listen to this, the root issues of our lives that keep us stuck until they are ripped out by the love and power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're all about at Encounter. And Jesus tells us, by faith, Robert, Heather, you can speak to those mountains. Carolyn, Rudy, you can speak to those mountains. Chris in Kentucky, you can speak to those mountains. And they'll be removed from your life. And all you have to do is don't doubt in your heart. What you say and believe, it's going to be done for you. That's an incredible promise. That's an amazing promise. Matter of fact, that would have been one of the top 10 scriptures, maybe top five scriptures, quoted scriptures of all time. You know how people love to quote scriptures? You know, it's my, oh, this is my life verse. This is my, you know, this is my favorite verse. You never see people quote that verse. You never see people walking around, let me tell you about a great verse. You know why? Because of the disclaimer attached to it. Disclaimer number two, but when you pray, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins too. My goodness with these disclaimers. You got to read the disclaimers. So listen, if you want to hold on to your grudges, you're not going to have any mountains removed in your life. You're not going to have your sins forgiven. And instead of speaking to the mountains in your life, you'll be climbing mountains the rest of your life and it'll wear you out. Let me share disclaimer number three. By the way, there's just not a few, there's a ton of forgiveness disclaimers. We just don't have time to get through all of them. Leave it up to me, we'd be here all night. Disclaimer number three, Matthew 18. Peter, love Peter. Peter came to God and said, check this out, Lord. How often should I forgive someone who's, who sins against me? And he thought he was giving him the perfect answer. Seven times? Look at me now. Seven times? And Jesus looks at him and says, no, how about 70 times seven? Which means an indefinite amount of times. And Peter's like, ah, got me again. Let me try another time. You see, disclaimer three tells us to forgive an indefinite amount of times because love unseals the lid of how many times we need to forgive other people. That's what love does. And there's a story about a man who went to an old pastor 
named John Wesley and said, I can never forgive that person, never. And John Wesley replied, then I hope you never sin because we all need what we don't want to give. And don't burn the bridge you need to walk across someday. And forgiveness is a bridge that all of us need to walk across. You see, to refuse to forgive means that you and God are not on the same page. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? When you forgive someone else, one, you're like Jesus, but two, you're walking and talking and you're living like Jesus. A refusal to forgive means that you have blocked God's operation in your life. You are cut off. You can pray all the prayers you want. You can go to all the services you want. But in essence, you're cut off. You're cut off from the blessing of God, hearing the voice of God, from the peace of God, from the favor of God, the healing power of God. Refusing to forgive horizontally breaks down fellowship with God vertically. One of the pastors that, that I've followed for a long, long time from Times Square Church, Pastor Carter Collins, said that the cross is a reflection of the vertical relationship with God that is reflected in our horizontal relationships with other people. We can't say that we love God but hate a group of people or a political party or whatever and say, I love God too. Our love for God has to be reflected in our love for others. That's the picture of the cross. Friends, I just want to tell you that resentment never, never works. Take it from a guy that lived for, with resentment for most of his life. The reality is that even though you think you are paying back the person who hurt you, you're only hurting yourself further with your anger. Think about it. When you're angry and resentful towards someone, you're not hurting them. You're hurting yourself. You're the one that's all stressed out. You're the one that's all anxious. You're the one that's all nervous. You're the one that has no peace. Trust me, they're not losing any sleep over your resentment. Chances are many of them are oblivious to what they even did to you. Some of them, maybe most of them, may be dead and gone by now. Maybe something that somebody did when you were a kid. But you're allowing them to continue to hurt you by allowing them to live rent-free in your mind, still causing pain to your body and to your emotional core. Resentment can't change the past, the problem, or the person who hurt you. It doesn't hurt the person who hurt you, and it doesn't make you feel any better. Can anyone tell me how resentment has made anyone feel better? Have you ever seen someone say, oh, I feel so much better walking around with all this resentment. Where would I be without this resentment? Okay, it just makes me feel great. You know, when I leave in the morning, give me a double frappuccino with three shots of resentment so I can start my day. Resentment will make you bitter. It'll make you divisive. It'll make you poisonous, toxic. It's, a, it's like a cancer that eats you up alive. It's an emotional poison with physical consequences. It'll make you gossip. It'll make you skeptical. It'll give you a critical spirit. It destroys relationships. It destroys families. It destroys businesses. I've seen it take down ministries. I've seen it take down churches. Friends, forgiveness is the way to go. It's only, there's only one narrow road, and that's through forgiveness. And I'm not going to lie to you. It's the hardest path to go. Forgiveness is not an easy path. You don't wake up every day and say, "Woo, love forgiving that guy. It's a hard path. Make no mistake. And so as we go down this path together, as we learn, let's talk about what forgiveness is and what it's not. Because this is important. Because a lot of confusing things said out there about what forgiveness is. First of all, forgiveness is not forgetting. It's just not, it's not, forgiveness is not even about forgetting. See, many of us want to forget what was done to us so we don't have to live with the pain of that again. Friends, let me just say this to you loud and clear. You're probably never going to forget what was done to you. You may suppress what was done to you, but when you suppress a hurt, 
that hurt is brewing inside of you, ready to explode at any time. It could come out 10 years later, 10 days later, 50 years later, but when it comes out, look out, because there are going to be casualties. Here's another thought for you. Did you ever think that God may not want you to forget? You see, God wants to take what the enemy meant for evil and set you free from it. God wants to take every disaster done to you and destroy the negative effects it has had on your life. I don't think God wants you to forget what was done to you. So he can recycle that pain and make you a trophy of his grace. You see, when God says he's not going to remember your sins, he's basically saying he's just not going to use the sins of your past against you anymore. You know, when God says he forgets, it's, I don't think he, he, he actually literally forgets. He's just saying your past is your past, and I'm not going to use it against you anymore. You know, when, David, when God forgave David of Bathsheba, I don't think God forgot about Bathsheba. I don't think God forgot about the things, the hideous things I'd done to him. I have done to him for years that he's forgiven me of, that he'll never bring up again. He's just not going to use them against me because he's declared me not guilty. See, forgetting is, is God's job. And forgetting from God's point of view is just saying, you know what, because of grace, it's as if you've never committed them in the first place. That's according to God. Next, forgiveness is a choice if you're writing, if you've got your fill in the blanks. It's a choice. It really is a choice. It's a decision of your will. And since God requires you to forgive, it's something you can do. You can do that. And you're thinking, but what about the other person? Let God deal with the other person. By forgiving, you let the other person off your hook. But you're not letting them off God's hook. They still have to deal with God. They still have to reconcile what they did with God. And you have to trust that God's going to deal with that person justly and fairly, something you simply can never do. And I know what a lot of you are saying even right now. Maybe somebody watching online. But you don't know what they did to me. You have no idea how much this person hurt me. And you know what I'm going to say to that? You are right. Nobody knows the pain and the suffering that you've gone through from what another person did to you. But Jesus does. He does. He understands. Don't let, a, don't let another person tell you they understand. Jesus understands. But he's instructed us to forgive others for our sake. Until you let go of your bitterness and hatred for the other person, guess what? That person's still hurting you. And you're allowing that person to still hurt you, even though you're not in a relationship with that person. See, to forgive is to set a captive free and realize you were the captive. Next, forgiveness is giving up your right to get even and choosing not to hold someone's sin against him or her anymore. This is important. You know, it's common for bitter people, you see this in couples all the time, to bring up past offenses with those who have hurt them because they want them to feel as bad as they do. But we have to let go of the past and choose to reject any thought of revenge. Now, listen to me very carefully. This does not mean that you continue to put up with any abuse. God doesn't tolerate sin and neither should you. It's important to set up scriptural boundaries that put a stop to continual, present sin and further abuse. You take a stand against sin while continuing to exercise grace and forgiveness towards those who have hurt you. See, God tells us to forgive an indefinite amount of times. Yes, that's true. But grace does not tolerate present and future sins against you. It's very important to understand this. It's also important to set up scriptural boundaries but execute the consequences of those boundaries that you've communicated if those boundaries are not honored and abused. If you don't execute the consequences 
of those boundaries, then you give no incentive to the other person to change or to honor your request. And at the end of the day, you've got to let God handle it by saying, you know, God, in light of what you've done with my sins, I have no right to hang on to this. I'm releasing this person to you, giving up my right to get even. Next, forgiveness is agreeing to live with the consequences of another person's sin. We're all living with the consequences of another person's sin. Doesn't seem fair, does it? But you can't change the past or the consequences that came along because of their behavior. It happened. And the only choice now is to choose the freedom of forgiveness and move out of the bondage of bitterness. That's your only choice. Next thing I want to say, and this is a big, big point and sort of a very confusing point to a lot of people. Forgiveness does not always lead to reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Now, in a perfect world, they should go hand in hand. But we live in a broken world. And issues like reconciliation and trust need time to build if they can be built at all. Forgiving someone and trusting them again is possible, but trust is built by actions, not words. When two people trust, submit, and surrender to God, and both forgive, and both look to God first, trust can be restored. On the other hand, it is possible to forgive someone completely, but never reconcile with them this side of heaven. Let me give you an example. I've forgiven the person who sexually assaulted me when I was 12 years old. I forgave him from my heart. I wanted the man saved. I wanted him in heaven. I wanted his sins forgiven. I told God, when I see that man in heaven, I'm going to give him a hug and tell him I love him. But I don't want to do life with him here on earth until I see him in heaven. I don't want to be reconciled to him here for many, many reasons. And I've experienced some major hurts like that, that God has challenged me to forgive. And out of all the people who ever hurt me in my life, nothing ever, ever came close to the sting and the hurt, like the betrayal, lies, and concerted effort to destroy my character, my life, my ministry, that I've experienced in the last place that I worked in the ministry that I served. People that I loved have been lied to, flat out lied to. People that I've invested in have turned on me. People that told others they loved me, but deep down they hated me and wanted to get rid of me and would stop at nothing short to do so. And even after I was gone, the effort to destroy my character and ministry was taken to a whole other level, even to this day. And I can tell you today that forgiving them was really hard, but it's something that I did from my heart. And I've forgiven them completely, and I absolutely hold nothing against them whatsoever. But they lost a friend that will never trust them ever again. They have my forgiveness but I could never trust them again. And when I was going through all this, a prominent pastor really helped me while all this was going down. Because he told me that the two people that I trusted in the most that betrayed me did the same exact thing to him. And he had to forgive them, but he also realized that he could never trust them again. And he's not doing life with them again. And the last time I was with that pastor, he asked me how my heart was. And I so appreciated that challenging and loving accountability that I longed for each and every day. I told him that my heart was good, that my heart was fine, that I completely forgiven them. And each day I'm creating bigger and better distance away from them. And here's the reason why. I can't afford to let one ounce of unforgiveness, one micro ounce of unforgiveness, which leads to bitterness, to grow inside my heart. I can't afford one day, one hour, one moment of being separated from God because of unforgiveness and miss the blessing of God, 
the voice of God, the favor of God, the direction of God, the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and the anointing of God. All of that gets forfeited and compromised if one ounce of unforgiveness starts growing inside my heart. I didn't forgive them because they deserved it. I forgave them because I can't afford to lose the power of his grace, which I desperately need in my own life and for this ministry. I did it because I love you and you and you so much more than I despised what they did. And I can't afford to miss out on God's blessing for encounter and the thousands of people that he wants to reach through this ministry. I did it because I know how much I've been forgiven. And those that have been forgiven much, they love much. And those that love much close their accounts with other people quickly. I did it because I'm going to have to give an account before God one day about my life. And as I said earlier, there'll be a conversation that won't take place. Why I didn't forgive others when I've been forgiven of so much. I have learned, friends, listen to me very carefully, to let God fight my battles. He's a big God. And I have someone who contends for me. I have someone who fights my battles. I have someone who's in my corner. I have someone who defends me and declares me not guilty, even when the multitudes become obsessed with destroying me because I wouldn't conform to their unbiblical or ungodly practices. I chose the freedom of forgiveness, and I moved out of the bondage of bitterness because of God's grace and my love for him and my love for you and what God wants to accomplish through this ministry. Okay, so I understand that forgiveness is not forgetting. It's letting go of my right to get even, releasing the hurt to God. But why in the world would I ever want to forgive? Why, why, why should I do this? Well, besides the incredible freedom that's going to come over your life, besides the peace that you're going to have that's going to, that's going to heal you, besides you're going to feel like a load of bricks that's falling off your shoulders because of the, how God's going to heal you, how God's going to give you purpose, joy, he's going to make you smile, he's going to make you laugh again, he's going to give you a future uh, with a hope, you know, not to harm you, but to, to bless you. So many miraculous things in your life. You forgive because God has forgiven you. That's the starting point for genuine forgiveness. If you don't understand how much you've been forgiven yourself, you won't want to forgive anybody else. If you don't understand how much, how deep his love has forgiven you. If you're hard on yourself, you're going to be hard on other people. If you feel guilty about what you've done, you're going to make others feel guilty when they do things to you. But the more grace you receive from God, the more gracious you're going to be to other people. The more forgiven you are by God, the more forgiving you are going to be towards other people. Forgiven people forgive others. So let's look at our key scripture for Anchor 7, Colossians 3.12. I love this. It says this. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must, this is not a suggestion, by the way, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is hard. Even as I'm reading this, you're thinking, man, I got some EGRs in my life. Extra grace required people. Okay? And they're just really difficult. They get on my nerves. And it's just so hard to forgive them. And so, but watch what it says next. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you should, so you should pray. No, you must forgive others. You know what the original language in the Greek of you must means? It means you must. It's a non-negotiable. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Oh, this is beautiful. When you forgive, when you, listen, this, 
You'll never know how to love until you've been forgiven. You don't have the capacity to love someone else the way God intended you to love another person until you've been forgiven by God and God's love comes to live inside of you. When that love comes to live inside of you, you love differently. You see people through the eyes of Jesus. You love them with your heart. You remind yourself each and every day you'll never lock eyes with someone that Christ hasn't died for. You love. And, and you, know who, you know who God wants you to love the most? Not the lovable, but the unlovable. Because Christ loves the unlovable. That's his whole mission. To forgive anyone who would trust in him so they can experience love. Love isn't a concept. God created the idea of love. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. How do you clothe yourself with love? You put on Christ. We talked about that in our identity anchor. You put on Christ every day. You make the decision, the intentional decision to be a disciple, to reject who you used to be and walk in your new and true identity. This is how you once lived, but that's not who you are. That's not how you're being taught. You are taught to put off your former way of life, to put on Christ, to clothe yourselves with Christ, to walk and talk like Christ, to do the things that Jesus did. Jesus said to love each other as I have loved you. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together, here it is, in perfect harmony. That's why I can drive in my car and someone cuts me off. I don't have to get mad. I can say, come on, people now. Smile on your brother in the valley, get together. I can sing that with gladness because love has overwhelmed my heart. I don't have to wave at them with just one finger and say, you're the man anymore. Number one, love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And here it is. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. You know, there's a lot of things you can fake. There's a lot of things you can get over on people. You can't get over. The fact is someone will know if you genuinely love them. When your heart breaks for them, when your heart loves for them, when you see someone in pain, you cry for them. And you're there for When you simply, when knowing someone's struggling with something, that you struggle too. Because when one part suffers, we all suffer. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. So how do I close my accounts? How do, how do I do this? By forgiving them and becoming a peacemaker. I think it starts with the Prince of Peace. Giving you his peace. First, by you allowing him to forgive you of all your sins. First, and in all the sins you've committed against other people by simply holding a grudge against others. Ask God to reveal in your mind every person you need to forgive. The Holy Spirit will do that for you. I think you start writing a list down. I'm going to help you with your list tonight. And as you start your list, the first person you need to put on your list is yourself. Because typically that's the last person that you'll ever want to forgive is yourself. Because often we hold things against ourselves in addition to punishing ourselves for the wrong choices we've made in the past. See, forgiving yourself is accepting the truth that God's already forgiven you in Christ. See, if God forgives you, friends, listen to me very carefully. You can forgive yourself. See, not forgiving ourselves and still feeling guilty about our past, listen to me very carefully, is a self-induced mindset not based on reality and truth, but on a lie, a misunderstanding, a misconception, or simply not believing that you have been completely forgiven with all your guilt taken away. Here's the simplicity of dealing with this issue once and for all for your own personal life. Choose to believe that what God has done for you is true. And because it's true, you can extend that same forgiveness to yourself. 
and the lifting of that guilt that weighs you down for yourself. And when you follow the principles of God like this in every area of your life, God will take 100% responsibility for the outcome of all of your circumstances. Right now, right next to your list of yourself, to forgive yourself, write down thoughts against God. See, see God doesn't need our forgiveness because obviously he didn't do anything wrong. But many of us carry disappointments that we have for what God did or didn't do. And we harbor angry thoughts against him because we thought he should have acted in a certain way in a particular situation. Why didn't you do what I needed you to do? Well, welcome to God's world. And those feelings of anger and resentment towards God need to be released so he can begin to heal you. And in order to be completely free from your resentments, anger, fear, shame, guilt, you need to give and accept forgiveness in every area of your life. And you've got to take care of yourself and your thoughts against God. You've got to get those out of the way so that you and God, His Holy Spirit, just revealing anyone that's, that's in your life that you need to close those accounts with. That's why having the foundation of Anchor 3, respond to the love of God by surrendering my life and will to Jesus Christ, is so, so important. See, by his death on the cross, all of our sins are forgiven, as if we've never committed them, which is why the last thing Jesus said on the cross is, it is finished. We learned this in Anchor 3, to tell us die. It is finished. His forgiveness, listen, is complete. And his ability to set us free is based on the finished work of what he did on that cross. You see, it's when we realize how much we've been forgiven and how we're saved by grace and grace alone that we could ever think about doing something so countercultural and difficult as offering forgiveness to others. So in light of God's forgiveness extended to you, of how he let you off the hook, you start making a list of everyone in your life that you need to forgive as well. And when you do, write down what the hurt was. Reveal your hurt. It's important to do that. See, some suppress their hurts and try and convince themselves, oh, it really wasn't that bad. Oh, they didn't really hurt me. He's not really a bad person. He just has a bad past. See, that never works because that's your denial kicking in that has a tendency to lead to codependent thinking that will always try and excuse or justify the wrong of the person who hurt you. Codependents, listen very carefully. Don't give in to your codependency. And next, don't wait for the other person to ask for your forgiveness. They may never ask or may be clueless that they hurt you or may be callous to the fact of what they did. And as I mentioned earlier, they may have even been passed on. But remember, Jesus didn't wait to forgive those that were nailing him to the cross. What did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Friends, look at it this way. It's not about them anyway. I always tell people, if there's one selfish thing you should do for yourself, forgive others. You'll benefit from it. Do this selfish thing for yourself, and you'll, you'll come out on top. You'll come out blessed. Next, don't wait until you feel like forgiving. You know why? You'll never get there. And guess what? Satan will make sure of it. You make the hard choice to forgive even if you don't feel like it. See, once you choose to forgive, Satan will loose his hold on you and God will heal your damaged emotions. That's how it works. And as you begin forgiving people, listen, God may bring up some painful things that you might have totally forgotten. Let God do this even if it hurts. See, God wants to surface those painful memories so that you can face them once and for all and let them go. So that you can be healed of them. That's where God wants to rip out the root issues of your life and heal you and set you free. Don't say, Lord, help me to forgive. He's already helping you. He's going to be with you the entire process. Don't say, Lord, I want to forgive. 
because that bypasses the hard choice we have to make to forgive. Here's what you say. Lord, I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive this person or these people for what they did to me. And when you forgive, listen very carefully, forgive from your heart. Don't let it be a checkoff box on the road to recovery to-do list. Forgive from your heart. It has to be a heart decision. If it doesn't go deep into the core of your heart, the bitterness will lock you up in jail. You make a list. You remember and acknowledge the pain. You reveal the hurt. You think about what God did with your sins. And you let God touch the emotional core of your being. And you let it go from your heart. And when you do, you release the offender. Listen very carefully. How do you know when you've totally released your offender? How do I know? You know when you can know? You can know when you've released your offender when you can pray God's blessing over their lives. When you can pray for God's love and blessing over their lives. Now listen. Many of you, this is very difficult talk. Maybe some watching, maybe some of you here. You're victims of domestic, violent, sexual, physical, maybe even childhood abuse. You may be a victim of abandonment, neglect, or some serious wrong that was really done to you. You may have had some things inflicted on you that have been hideous. Maybe you've, even, maybe you've never even mentioned them to another soul. And I'm so sorry for the pain that you've had to endure. And you're the only one who can comprehend what that hurt feels like and what it did to you. But I'm here to tell you from the authority of God's word that you're not going to find peace and freedom from your offenders until you choose to forgive them from your heart. You choose the freedom or forgiveness and move out of the bondage of bitterness. Remember, forgiving them in no way excuses them for the harm they've caused you. But it will release you from the power they have over you. And after you release your offender... Here's the last thing that you do. And it's important that you do this. You let it go and you leave him. You leave her. You leave the offense at the foot of the cross. You let it go. And you leave it at the foot of the cross. When you nail something and you leave it at the foot of the cross... You don't ever have to go back to it again. You don't have to ever revisit this again. I've never, ever, I've heard some pastors say, well, sometimes you just have to give a person over and over and over again. I believe that when you truly do it from your heart, despite what you feel, that person is released. And you are free. And you, and you have decided to become a peacemaker. See, you can't be a peacemaker until you experience the peace of God that comes over you first. And the only way you'll get the peace of God that comes over you is by choosing to forgive. I'll never forget standing in front of the Minnesota Vikings football team and telling them that the peace I have that came over me when I, cho when I chose to forgive that man who assaulted me is worth more than all your contracts combined. So, here's how we're going to... Typically, you know, in the past, we've, we've done something to symbolize uh, forgiveness. I'm just going to say a prayer tonight. And we're going to spend some time in worship tonight. And we're going to open up the altar... And as Sarah and, and the worship team comes back up and they, they start singing again, I want to encourage you to just look at this altar as, as the cross of Jesus Christ. There's not a physical cross here. Maybe there are names that came to your mind as I was speaking. For every name that popped up in your head tonight while I was speaking, 
and for every name that's going to pop up in this prayer that I'm going to lead you through. Tonight, you can choose the freedom of forgiveness and move out of the bondage of bitterness. Tonight, you're going to experience the peace of God that the world does not offer that will come and heal you and set you free. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. I'm going to ask everyone to pray with me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, reveal every person you want me to forgive. Bring to remembrance every person to my mind right now. Now everyone pray this prayer with me, out loud, with me. Lord Jesus, release me from the prison of unforgiveness as I choose in your strength and in your power to release those that have wronged me, hurt me, betrayed me, and wounded me. Today, I make the choice to release them from the debt they owe me as you released me from the debt I owed you. Holy Spirit, I close all my accounts with others by forgiving them. Close the door behind me and never let me go there again. Lock that door and throw away the key. As much as it depends on me, I choose to be a peacemaker and not a troublemaker. Thank you for the peace that will wash over me even as I pray this prayer. The peace this world could never offer. The peace that heals and quiets my souls, my nerves, my body, and my life. Thank you for forgiving me and giving me the power to forgive others. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.